All right. Welcome, my beautiful boons. Welcome to today's episode. So today's episode, I've got a lot to pack in. I've got some fun brain facts. I've got like a listener question being answered at the end. And of course, the actual body of the podcast, which is all about inner peace being the real success. So I'm really excited to talk about that. Basically, when it comes to talking about inner peace being the real success, it's not this idea that you have to go on and get rid of all your possessions and not aim for anything like monetary or physical. It's not that at all, but it's trying to pull apart what actually makes you feel at peace and what doesn't. There might be certain endeavors in your life where it is about hustling and working hard and whatever, but in doing that, you are truly at peace and happy and you have this, you know, this genuine comfort within yourself doing that endeavor, in which case phenomenal, go ahead and do it. But I'm going to break down a whole bunch of examples how we often get find ourselves stuck in a life situation where we're like, none of this makes me happy and I'm only doing it for all these external reasons and all the, you know, because other people think this and I want other people to think that and in order to fit in X, Y, Z, but at the end of the day, I'm just sitting here, you know, depressed or really anxious or really unsatisfied with my life. Okay. So that's what I'm going to be talking about today. I want you to identify a few things and I'm going to give you some tips and hints on how you can start to turn that around. Okay, let's get straight into the brain fact of today. It is alcohol-induced blackouts. So I'm pretty excited to talk about this. Very interesting. Uh, I am going to be delving into memory consolidation and a part of the brain called the hippocampus, which will link to a brain fact that I did ages ago. ago. I can't even remember when I did that brain fact, but it's all going to link together. But let's get started. Alcohol-induced blackouts. Now, this is different to passing out where you're not conscious, okay? When, at least in in the literature and science and all of that, when they refer to, in papers and stuff, alcohol-induced, when they refer to a blackout, they're referring to a memory blackout. So that's where there's a bit, like big gaps of memory are missing from the time that you were drunk. And there will be these little, like they call them these islands of memory, which people use to piece like the night together. So if you had a massive night out, the next day you wake up and you're like, oh my God, what the fuck happened? Oh, but I recall um, eating a burger from McDonald's. Um, and then I recall getting out of the cab. So that's what like these islands of memory, there'll be these little snippets here, snippets there that were able to consolidate. But in general, you've got all these big chunks of unaccounted for memory um, or time and you have no idea what went down at that point. Okay. So that is what a blackout is of what I'm referring to when I say blackout, because I think a lot of people interchangeably use passing out and blacking out. But in this scenario and in all the scientific papers, alcohol induced blackouts refer to memory blackouts, not being unconscious. Now, basically what's occurring is that alcohol and high levels of alcohol is interfering with the consolidation, like the transfer phase of this memory consolidation. And that's between short-term and long-term memory. And this happens in a part of the brain called the hippocampus. And the hippocampus, you've probably heard me speak about it like so many fucking times. It's it's involved in learning memory consolidation. In It's in a lot of shit. But mainly you want to think about the hippocampus as memory consolidation and learning. I'm going to revert back to the hippocampus in a second. But separate to that... There's something also called state-dependent information storage. And we have all experienced, I'm sure of it, this state-dependent information storage. And that is where it's easier or it's only possible to retrieve information 
when you've when you've been given a hook or a clue or a trigger, something to assist you in the recall of that memory. And once you get that hook or once you get that thing, it triggers the memory and then you're like, oh, oh, and then the whole thing comes flooding back and you get all these images and, you know, you, you remember what went down, okay? But often that doesn't happen without some sort of like trigger or a hook or, or a clue, right? And there was a study that was done and this study was done with divers and the divers had to learn a list of words in the water and then at a separate time they had to learn a list of words on land and they found that depending on where the divers were whether it was in the water or on land it was easier to remember the list of words that they were given when they returned back to the location where they learnt those words so for example when they the list of words that they learnt in the water they were able to retrieve it a lot better when they went back to the water versus when they were on land. And the same goes for the words that they learn on land. When they were in water, they didn't retrieve it as well as when they were on land. So it's this idea of um, like a state-dependent information storage. Um, the same thing goes for when you return to a, a location to help you remember something. Um, and that's why it's so important, if you can, to physically retrace your steps when you lose something or when, you, yeah, when you've misplaced an item because it's a lot easier to remember the exact steps you took and places you went and then because of that it makes it easier to find out either to find the item or to at least realise at what point that item was lost because it starts bringing back all these memories. So, for example, if you're sitting on your couch right now being like, oh, this morning, like I've, I've lost – I've lost that piece of paper that I had in my hand and this morning, what did I do? And you're sitting on the couch kind of retracing what you did this morning versus getting up. You're like, right, I'm going to go to the cafe. And then on your way to the cafe, you're like, oh my God, I stopped and talked to this person. And that's something that maybe you forgot that detail. And I put my bag down on that bench and you start, when you physically take yourself to that location, you start receiving all these hooks that trigger the recall of a memory that probably would have never occurred if you were just sitting on the couch trying to just remember it without any hooks or clues that are aiding in that retrieval of the memory. And interestingly, also returning to an emotional state when the memory was originally formed or a physiological state will also help you remember something that was buried away. So, for example, you might have had like this exact emotional feeling when you had an argument with someone and things occurred and then you kind of repressed it or you didn't weren't really thinking about it. And then you one day have an argument where the same feelings come up and then all these memories of the past thing come up and you start remembering all these things because you've returned to that same emotional state and that emotional state um, served as like a, a, a hook. So the interesting thing about this is they're finding that some memories are getting consolidated, but the retrieval of the memory is, you know, it's difficult to retrieve that memory. And then some memories are just not getting consolidated at all. So you won't even be able to retrieve them. So there's a mix of things that are going on with alcohol-induced blackouts. And they're trying, there's all these studies trying to figure out exactly, is it is it specifically that you can't retrieve it at all but it is stored or is it that there's no storage going on at all and it might be a bit of both. Um, now, it's something that's also very interesting and they're trying to figure out why exactly this is the case but scientists have also figured out that it's it's a lot – the chances of having these memory blackouts are a lot higher if you drink on an empty stomach and this has to do with the rate at which your blood alcohol concentration goes up. So if your blood alcohol concentration goes up, 
very quickly. And this happens by, you know, because there's no food in your stomach, there's nothing to help absorb the alcohol or slow down the rate at which your, your body absorbs the alcohol. So your blood alcohol is going up really quickly. The chances, of, so the chances of blackouts or memory blackouts are higher. So if you get two population groups, both groups with the same blood alcohol level, but one group where it was a really acute, fast spike, empty stomach, bang, drinking a lot of alcohol in a short period of time. And then the other group equally with the same blood alcohol level, but it was a slower journey to get there. There was food in the stomach. They pasted out a bit. They got just as intoxicated. The group that got intoxicated quickly and had that really high spike very quickly in their blood alcohol level, they're the ones that ended up having the blackouts in their memory. The group that had a slow um, in the, a slow rise in the blood alcohol concentration did not have the blackouts. Another thing to note about this alcohol-induced blackouts is that it only affects the memories that were formed during the period of time where you had a high level, a high blood alcohol concentration, okay, or the, like where you're intoxicated. So when people are drunk, their short-term memory is relatively intact. You know, I'm not talking about someone who's absolutely gone, who's so inebriated they can't even form a sentence. We're talking about, you know, in general intoxicated person. Their short-term memory is pretty intact. If you're having a conversation with them, they can follow the train of the conversation. They can remember all these short-term things relatively easily, right? And they can also, when drunk, they can also remember any event that occurred before they got drunk. They have no problem accessing memories that occurred before they got drunk. So you could be drunk and say, oh, today this is what I did when I was sober, blah, 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 blah. And they can go through the whole list of things they did that day, the last week. It's, it's not an issue. However, these, when they are drunk, that is when the blackouts occur. And so you can have these memory blackouts when you're drunk and then once you sober up, those memory blackouts are for the duration of the time when you were drunk. So it's always when you are intoxicated, it's within that time frame. So whether you're currently in the intoxicated stage or after you've sobered up and you're looking back at the time that you're intoxicated, those memory blackouts are occurring then and there. So what is happening in the brain? So of course, like a lot of things, we don't have complete total understanding of what's going on. But something that's really interesting is that they found that while alcohol does act in a lot of areas of the brain, it acts more specifically on some areas and on some neuromodulators and neurochemicals than in others. And they found that it really acts on the hippocampus, which is the part of the brain I was just talking about, memory consolidation and learning. Now, pause on that. A few months ago, or it could be over a year ago, I did a brain fact about a man called HM, and he was a man that suffered really debilitating uh, seizures that were so bad that they were that you know it it literally he wasn't able to work he wasn't able to do anything so they went in at the time this is back in I think the fifties they went in and they operated on him and they removed his hippocampus because that's where they found that that was where the activity of the seizures was happening they removed his the hippocampus on both both lobes so one on either either side of the brain. And the seizures pretty much went away. But what also happened was that he then had this really strange thing happen with his memory. His short-term memory was intact in the sense that if I'm, if you were having a conversation with him, anything that occurred in the last kind of up to about a minute-ish, sometimes a bit longer, that was intact. And everything that occurred prior to the surgery, he had that long-term memory. He could tell you everything about, you know, what had happened in his life up until the, the operation. 
But then he wasn't able to form any new memories and consolidate them into his long-term memory. He wasn't able to turn any short-term memory and and do the transfer process of short-term into long-term. Now, what they found is that alcohol has the same – when you have these um, alcohol-related blackouts, it's the same symptoms of injury to the hippocampus. This idea that they cannot turn new explicit memories into long-term memories. They can recall long-term memories – that already existed, they their short-term memory is intact, but they can't. They struggle to turn or can't turn new memories into long-term memories, and that's what's happening to some degree when you're intoxicated. Obviously, not as clean-cut as someone like HM, where the hippocampus has been like fully removed. But you can see how the how it's very closely related, how the symptoms are related. Obviously, with Alcohol, it's, it's going to be on a scale that depends on the person, depends on how intoxicated they are. There's many factors that come into play and that's why you will have these patches and that's why you sometimes can retrieve some of the memories and sometimes it's just not possible to retrieve them. So that is just a little bit of an outline of alcohol-induced blackouts or alcohol-related blackouts. Good times! Now, let's get into the topic of today's episode. Why inner peace is the real success and how to access it. Now, as I was brainstorming this um, episode, took a break, jumped on my Facebook page and before I got onto the Facebook page, because I normally just go in there and see what you guys are writing and see what's going on in that glorious community, before I went on there, I was on my feed and something came up from Humans in New York or Humans of New York. Humans Humans of New York is the name of the page. If you guys don't follow it, you have to follow it. Oh my God, unbelievable. I literally only use Facebook for my group and for humans of New York. Anyway, I decided that I would actually read out this post. So it's a photograph. Basically, if you don't follow humans of New York, it is a page where a, you know, journalist goes around and just interviews everyday people walking around, finds people around New York and just asks if he can interview them, gets them to tell any part of their story, um, takes a photo and just puts it up on the Facebook group. And this has like millions and millions and millions of of um, like members in the group or followers. It's great and th- some of the stories are incredible. Anyway, this one is a photo of a man. He's sitting on a bench along the Hudson River um, and he's a – he works in like picking up garbage along the Hudson River. So he's got like a garbage bin next to him and he's there sitting on a bench. And it read – so this is what, what it said. It said, on my first day in New York, I went running with a friend in Central Park. I pointed at one of those big apartment buildings on 72nd Street and said, God, I'd give anything to live there. But the devil hears your prayers too. Ten years later, I was jogging home to that very same building. I could see the light on in our apartment and I didn't want to go inside. I was in a marriage that I didn't want to be in, a job I didn't want to be in. I was drinking daily way too much. I said, God, I'd give up everything if I could just start over and be happy. That very night, I got in an argument with my husband and that was the end. When I first applied for this job, I felt like it was beneath me. I was angry at my situation. The first day they tried to send me to pick up trash alongside the Hudson. I said, no, 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 anywhere but there. I used to jog alongside the Hudson and I was afraid that some of my old friends would see me. So they then sent me to Times Square instead. I worked there for a while, but one day I got in trouble and the boss said, it's the Hudson or nowhere. My phone bill was due. I didn't have a choice. I've been here for a couple of months now and I can't believe how long I was avoiding it. I love the sun. I love plants. I love water. The funny thing is, 
No matter how many times I used to jog down here, I never really saw it. I'd be so focused on me or what I was trying to achieve or the person who was in my path. Now I see the greens and the blues and the yellows. The view is just different when you're picking up trash. So I fucking loved that. I fucking loved that story. I loved everything about it because here's somebody who had this idea of what would make him happy, had to strive for it, strive for it, and then was living a life that made him miserable. And then when he turned and decided to live a life that he thought would make him miserable, actually made him happy, okay? So it all comes down to, I guess, finding that peace within yourself and you don't have to have all these things and these titles and you know live here and live in that building in order to have that happiness, okay? So I feel, and that's basically what I wanted to talk about. And I really just, I read that story and I think it aligned perfectly with this episode. So I thought I'd share it with you guys. So thank you, Humans of New York, for providing that beautiful piece of content. Um, But basically, I feel like we get so caught up in life trying to uphold this image or an identity or a way of life. For what? And we say it's for happiness. But so many of these things do not bring us happiness. The reason we do these things are for what we think will give us the thing that then gives us happiness. We say, if I have that higher paying job, then I'll have the money for better things. And then I'll be surrounded by successful people. And then I'm going to be happy because I'm going to be rich and successful. If you are focusing on what can make you happy now, I can assure you guys, those things are not going to make you happy. And I'm not saying go and fucking quit your job, watch all your bills accumulate, go sit on a rock and and you'll be happy because money problems and stress also is not going to bring you happiness. I'm not saying being poor will equal being happy, but peace of mind is what will bring you happiness. And I think a lot of people will chase money thinking that that's going to cure, money might cure your financial problems, but if you're not working on your mind and on on the that sanctuary of your mind and creating a peaceful space there. No matter, you can have as much money as you want and you can have as little money as you don't want. Happiness is not going to be related to that, I can assure you. The same goes for success. The same goes for power. The same goes for a title. Same goes for possessions and certain people and circles that you that you are in and people that you hang around with. True happiness comes from somewhere completely different. And I genuinely believe that true happiness comes from a real comfort within yourself and with where you are at in your life. It doesn't matter how many possessions you have or how few possessions you have, but instead it's this idea that you are at peace with yourself. You have this peace of mind. You're at peace with your progress. You're at peace with your mistakes and the lessons that you've learned through those mistakes. You're at peace with the falling outs that you may have had with people. You're at peace with people not understanding you or people not liking you or people thinking the worst of you even though you've tried to you know rectify it you're at peace with that and that is where true happiness arises from and ironically when you search for that feeling of being at peace and when you start to put in the work to attain that in your life then ironically other things start to fall into place that you thought would bring you happiness because you become this really attractive energy to be around. The things that actually are good for you and, you know, whether it be a career path or or if it is riches and money and success, it will fall into place so much easier 
Because you start doing things that align with you for the right reasons and you start identifying what's not going to work with you, what's going to wear you down, what's going to X, Y, Z. So you end up becoming this crazy attractive energy that people that align with you will come to you, will want to work with you, will reach out to you, opportunities start to flow, but it always happens in reverse. We think we need to have all these things happen, 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 and then I can breathe and then I'll be happy. Then I'll be at peace. Then, then I can relax. But it's the other way around, which is wild. All these, and the funny thing is, when you attain all the all the happiness and all everything, all this peace of mind, all those things that you thought you had to have, you no longer have to have. You think I'd be nice to have it, but I don't have to have it. And weirdly, when you cut out the desperation, that's when it happens for you. So I feel like you need to be doing everything in reverse but ideally not with that as the focus because if you're thinking of that thing at the end, the attainable thing at the end is the, you know, the, the money or the possessions as the focus, then you're defeating the purpose of this exercise. But ultimately, you always have to th- think about, I need to chase the feeling. What is the ultimate feeling that I want to feel? Everything always comes down to happiness. We want to feel good. You don't want someone to be jealous of you for no reason. You want to drive that sports car and have that person jealous of you because you want to feel a certain feeling. And that feeling is to feel good. Now, whether it's for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, we're all human here. We all have our own ideas and ideals about what we would desire in life. Some people it's just to be you know, healthy. Some people it's to be envied, right? But it's ultimately to be happy, okay? So you have to identify what is the end goal? And that's what I'm going to work. Cut out all the steps in the middle. That's what I want to be working on. I want you to ask yourself this. How much of my life and what I do and what I aspire to do has other people's opinions of me in mind? And what I mean by that is when you want things for yourself and when you want things for your future, do you think in a way of, wait until they see me making X amount of money or I can't wait for them to see me succeed or I'll show them or I can't wait to prove them wrong. I'm going to do this to prove all the naysayers wrong. I can't wait to see the look in their faces, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? How often do you do that? I can't wait to see my ex look at me and regret the day he dumped me. I can't wait for this, this, bang, 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 all these things. I can't wait for this person to have X reaction about this possession that I obtained or this amount of money or this level of success. So much of what we do is aimed at getting a reaction or admiration or love from other people. And you might end up achieving exactly that, exactly what you set out to do. You know, that person looks at you and be like, fuck, I should have never broken up with you or fuck, whatever. But when everything is done and, yep, you've proven them wrong, you've, you've proven people wrong, you, you went and got that thing that they said you couldn't do and they're in awe of you and they're jealous of you, but that's going to wear off because people like to think about themselves a lot more than they like to think about you. So they might look at you and be like, oh, fuck, she proved me wrong. Anyway, next. So here you are, I've been slogging it out for years to like achieve this thing just to prove someone wrong and that person's like, yeah, fuck, you proved me wrong. Over it, next, I'm on to the next piece of gossip. They don't give a fuck, okay? They don't give a fuck. So you've gone and, you know, done all of this and it's now worn off. Other people are jealous, whatever, but they're over it now. Are you happy with what you have done? Because all of that is all well and good if you are happy and if it's, and if, you know, trying to get people jealous is not the primary reason for you doing something or to prove someone wrong is not the primary reason for you doing something. So if you can do all of that and achieve all those things, but you're still truly, truly happy with where you are on the journey, great. 
But a lot of people will honestly stop and sit and think, I put myself through so much stress just to prove someone wrong. I put myself through that career just to prove that I could do it when people said that I couldn't. But it gave me no happiness and it just caused me a lot of stress and illness because I was so stressed. You know, the issue is if you're always seeking a reaction positively or positive or negative from somebody else and that is what the goal is for what you're doing, especially when it comes to big things like career and where you're investing your time and what you're doing with your appearance and your body and things that have to do with how you identify with yourself. If all, the, if all these external people are the primary reason for you doing something, then every goal past that will have the same intention of getting people, getting a reaction from people, getting people to react in a certain way or look at you in a certain way. And then you're going to be chasing that your entire life. Because once you get that initial reaction, you're like, what's next? So you've got to go for the next step. You've got to one-up it and one-up it and always be impressing and always have people in awe of you. And then your identity and your purpose becomes having this great image that people look up to or envy or are jealous of. And that becomes your identity. You relate so heavily to it and you're stuck in this like hamster wheel of working, 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 working for this thing. And you're not at peace and you're probably maybe not doing something that's actually feeding your soul. And this can be very, very exhausting. And it ends up becoming a a way of abandoning yourself because you stop listening to yourself. And then it becomes really hard to learn how to listen to yourself and your needs and your wants because you're not used to it. You're so primed with setting yourself up to get a reaction or to please other people or to prove something to other people that doesn't actually need to be proven. And then you end up saying, I don't know what I want with my life. How am I supposed to know what I want? How do I figure it out? So many people are are, are caught up in this concept of I don't know what I want, how to know what you want. I'm going to do a fucking episode probably next week on how to know what you want. And the reason you don't know what you want is because you become so shit at listening to yourself. You've abandoned yourself because everything is geared towards pleasing other people or doing this for other people or doing this for a reaction that you're not doing it for you. And then you forget how to do things for you. And then when someone's like, well, what do you want? You're like, I don't fucking know. I don't fucking know. Because my whole life I've primed myself, I've prepared, I've been living for a different reason, for for an ulterior motive. All the things I've done is actually not really what I want. And now I don't know what I want. And that's so common. Do you know how much easier it is and how much more peaceful it is when you stop resisting, what would happen, hypothetically, just ask yourself, hypothetically, let's let's fucking humor ourselves, what would happen if you let people think that you weren't capable? And if you just let people think that they were right or that they think that they're better than you because they earn more money than you or they have more career success than you, what would happen? Not much. Not much because all of these things are thoughts that exist in that person's head. Let them think that thought. It's their thought. It's their head. It's their life. They're entitled to think whatever the fuck they want to think, right? It's going on in their head. So it's only affecting you because you have taken that statement or that idea and put it into your head and put it into your daily reality. Return the thought to them. Get rid of it. it if you can be truly, truly happy, like real happiness – but others still passed judgment on you and thought all those things I just mentioned, it wouldn't matter to you because you've created real happiness and those ideas don't affect you. 
Because you truly know, well, no one really understands what's going on in my head. I'm at peace. I'm chilled. Everyone can think the worst of me. It's like, I'm fucking, you know, I'm chilled. They can think they're better than me and that I'm scum. Good on them. Good on them. You know? Those thoughts only affect you if you're living, if you're trying to live up to these standards and images. You know, they only affect you when you are in the thick of it, when you're resisting and when you're fighting against these thoughts. So they're really affecting you because they get magnified because you're in it. So it looks bigger and bigger and bigger because you're so involved and it's so hard to put everything into perspective. The moment you step away and you take a big step back, it looks like you're just looking down on something smaller. You create some distance between it. You pause and you think, let's just look at what's happening. And it's like you're looking down on a tiny little ant village. It exists but so small and tiny and far, far away and cute and comical to watch. It's like, oh, there's tiny little issues in their tiny little heads. Cute. Nothing to do with me. Okay, so that's the analogy you want to use when people have these ideas that you're like, no, but I have to prove them wrong or I want to. Why? You've got to shake the need because so much of your life, years of your life could be spent doing something just to change someone's opinion of you or just to get someone to be like, yep, they were right or just to prove your parents wrong or just to – when you could have actually just been like, think what you want to think. Fuck off. Fuck off. Have the thought. I'm going to go here and do this with my life. Okay? Like it – all you have to do is create distance. That's the first thing you need to do is create some fucking distance. Okay? And then things start to fall into place. I'm not saying it's fucking easy. It's simple. But it's not necessarily easy because you've got to kind of re-teach yourself how to go about it another way because you're so maybe used to doing, doing it a certain way. Now, I've got a bunch of things that you guys can do. It's like seven, eight things. Number one, I want you to identify what you are doing for other people, for, the re- for other people's opinions. Like what in your life is because you truly want to do it and what in it is because your parents think this or someone said you could never, so you're doing this or someone says, oh, you'll quit, you'll quit. And you're like, now I can't quit because this person has said you'll quit and they've always said I'll quit and I want to quit. I fucking hate it, but I have to prove them wrong. So I'm going to stay here and I'm going to suffer because this cunt over here just one day threw this line saying, oh, you, you're a quitter. So now I can't quit. You know, how much of your life and of what you do is because you want to do it and how much is for all those other reasons? So identify that right now. Number two, what feeling have you been trying to chase from this? Like what is the ultimate goal here? And I know that happiness is the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate goal. But what is the feeling that you're identifying as to your why behind why you do what you do? Is it because I want people to feel what about me or I want, uh, what is it? Three, if you do more of this, would it cause you more stress or would it cause you more happiness? That's a really good way of identifying if something is good for you or not. You think if I was to ramp it up and do X amount more per week or X amount of hours more, would I actually be at peace with this or would I be like, oh my God, my life is over. I cannot handle one more second of this shit, you know? And that's a really good way of identifying like how much you should be doing something and is it actually for your happiness and your health or is it something that you need to either keep it a minimum or not do it at all? Number five, and this is a really, 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 really important one. Really identify, sit down, take your time and identify what are the times that you have felt the most happy, the most happy. Because it's normally 
the smallest, simplest, most stripped back times. Some of my happiest times come from and have come from when I've had the least amount of money in my life. And even now, while I can afford more and I can whatever, I've got more money now, you know, I can, you know, I can pay for dinner without being like, God, I've got to get onto my internet banking and see if I've got enough money that, you know, which is something that I did for years and now I don't have to have that stress, you know. Um, my happiest moments are still nothing to do with that. My happiest moments are still sitting around the table with my family after a meal. In Spanish, we call it sobremesa, so any Hispanics would know. Sobremesa is like a word specifically to name that time that when you finish a meal, you sit at the table, and my family does this for hours, you sit at the table and you talk and talk and talk and talk, and we've got a big, you know, our big family, aunties, uncles, cousins, my parents, siblings, everyone, partners, we all come in, you know, my uncle's getting up, making everyone coffee, every, you know, like – the mums that keep bringing in like different things like from the kitchen and we could be there for hours, sobre mesa, and I fucking love it. That's one of the happiest times of my life and that has just been a constant. Whether I've been poor, rich, it hasn't changed. Or when I sleep over at a friend's place, like my friend Lucy's place, and then the next morning I crawl into her bed and we spend hours of the next day laughing in bed about the antics of the night before or something that happened. It would be in tears of laughter. That's free. And that's such a happy moment. Or with like Tyrone, <laughs> he's like such an animated character. And when he literally will be going for a walk with the dog and he will be trying to tell me how much he loves me through like interpretive dance on the side of the road. People are probably being like this dude drunk. And he's just doing like an interpretive dance just to express his love for me. That shit is when I feel most happy. It's always about the connections. It's always – or when I'm lying down with the dog and feeling the dog like breathe his cute little breath on my face. That, that shit, it's always, it always comes down to connection. That is happiness for me. That's when I experience joy, like true joy in the moment. Separate to that, I also feel immense happiness when I connect with you guys, when you guys write to me, when you guys say, hey, you know, this – you know, this really meant something to me. This episode really like hit home for me. This, all these things. I feel a lot of happiness because I feel that connection when I hear your stories and I hear how what I've done can impact you guys. But notice that everything that I've just mentioned has nothing to do with possessions or money and it has everything to do with emotional connection. And I genuinely believe that when you feel true connection and when you Take the time to make it like a really good authentic connection when you're not half on your phone, half fucking here, there, fuck, like a proper connection. That is when you feel happiness. And this could be connection to the people that you love, family or friends or your partner. It could be connection to strangers. Sometimes some of the happiest moments are when you have this moment of connection with a stranger who you'll never see again. Like just, you know, where you make them laugh or you have this interaction at a cafe or whatever. That is amazing. It's an amazing feeling or when you feel connected to nature, or massively important, importantly, when you feel connected to yourself, where you have this moment of just silence, being like, oh, like I just, I'm giving myself this moment away from all the noise and whatever, and I truly feel connected to my breath, to myself, and I'm just giving myself a moment. Those, it's those moments where you like, where you are likely to feel most happy. So, that, that really stretched on for a long time, but Number five is when are the times that you have felt most happy? Really identify them and write them all down, okay? 
Number six, here's the fun one. How many of these moments do you experience every day? How much of your day are you allowing to just be playful and present? Or how much of it is, no, you've got to hustle, quick, 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 busy, busy, busy. A lot of people, a lot of us identify with being busy and we think busy equals good. And because of that, we're striving to be busy or worse, we're striving to appear busy. So other people think that we're, you know, they have a higher idea, like ideal of who we are, et cetera, et cetera. But then you don't take time out for these like really golden moments throughout the day. And yeah, I feel like there's almost like this negative connotation towards just like taking time out more often throughout the day. And it's something that we absolutely have to do. So ask yourself, how many of these moments of like true joy and happiness after you've answered number five, do I experience every day? Because you want to aim to experience it every day. If you're not feeling a moment of true joy every single day where you can reflect back at nighttime being like, fuck, that made me smile. or fuck, that made me feel good. Oh my God, I laughed so much that like I literally my abs were spasming or something like that. If you can't do that at the end of every day, something needs to change. Something needs to change. That's not like this is your life we're talking about. If you're not having at least a flicker of these feelings every day, then you want to shake things up. You want to be changing something and you can change something. Number seven, is it in your power to create or be involved in more of these moments every day? I would argue yes. I would argue there's always something that can be done. But I want you to argue that. I want you to say to yourself, there is something I can do. What that is, I don't know. But is there someone who you fucking adore in your life? And you're like, why don't I hang around with that person more? Every time we're together, literally my heart just explodes. I just feel so happy. Why am I not reaching out to that person more? I feel like sometimes we get so wrapped up in our own, you know, busyness that we don't think, oh, like, oh my God, I could be doing that. I could be reaching out to this person. I love sitting in the park by myself every once in a while. Why do I never do that? Things like that, okay? So is it in your power to create or be involved in more of these moments every day? And then lastly, number eight, ask yourself, what would my life look like if I only just focused on creating more of these moments and what could change? Because so much would change. Firstly, your perspective would change. You're, you know how I said where you're looking, when you pull out and you're looking at the little like ant city, it's like these superficial things will seem superficial. So you're not going to take it to heart as much. You're okay with it happening around you and it's not affecting who you really are inside. You're a lot happier. So you deal with stresses more effectively. It's not to say that you never get stressed. Of course you get stressed. Shit is going to happen. But because you're happier and you're calmer, you can tackle it head on. You can deal with it effectively instead of letting it bleed into every area of your life. You also find true joy. So you stop seeking it in these quick fixes like addictive behaviors, like your phones, like, you know, anything that's like an addictive behavior. I've spoken about heaps of them, Um, social media, all that shit. Um, you start spending – and because you're you're not seeking so many of these quick fixes in addictive behavior because you're happier, you then start to spend time doing something more meaningful to you. You start to experience meaning and purpose in little moments throughout the day. You start looking at at ways to spend your time instead of in these quick fixes. You You look for like, oh, I find like it's really rewarding when I do this thing instead or when I do that or whatever. And even when you do go on your phone, it's way more short-lived. You don't feel pulled to stay there forever. You're like, yep, I can be here for two minutes. Off, I'm out. Because you've got this like healthy balance that you've created for yourself. And then because of that, you start to just feel overall happier 
even in the just the plain mundane, quote-unquote mundane, moments of the day. And this is when you start to finally learn about who you are and what really matters and then all the other things start to fall into place and all the other superficial things just pale in comparison. So I would argue that in order to, if you do want to look at it from like, yeah, but how do I achieve all these things? In order to actually achieve the things that you think you want, you want to be focusing on these moments of happiness and connection throughout the day. Things that start to make you feel truly happier and calmer that bring you that inner peace where you're calm about who you are and you're like relaxed about it. That is then the foundation for all these other things to fall into place a lot easier. Now, to summarize, nothing about what I'm saying says that you can't go out and go for these big things and achieve great success. I'm fucking all for it. I love this idea of, you know, driven, purpose-driven, passion, go and chase that thing, working for something that you want. But if you can't couple that with a happy life, then you want to reassess your priorities. You know, we think that that alone is going to equal happiness, but you have to focus on the feeling of happiness before you seek those big things. Because if you focus on the feeling of happiness and those big things that you want still seem right to you, then it's the right thing for you. But if you're like, that's got to give me happiness because it's got to, then it may not be the right thing. Okay. And then I've obviously explained why in this whole episode. So hopefully you found that helpful. Hopefully you can apply some of those things to your life. Hopefully you can be focusing on finding those joyful moments in every day. And, and say to yourself, you know, by tonight, when you wake up, think tonight I'm going to be reflecting back on a really happy moment of today. And look for these moments throughout the day. Put yourself out there and search for those moments throughout the day. Reach out to those people that make you feel that way. And then it's going to get, it's going to flow and it's going to become easier and easier every day. And then you're going to be one of those people that's just a happier person because you're at peace. and You're not doing things for different, like for other people, you're doing things for you. Guys, that is all for today's episode. Now, oh, we've got the listener question coming up right now. But thank you so much. Love you guys so much. And I really hope that you enjoyed that. Okay, so the listener question is, Hi, Alexis. How do you work on yourself when your partner is doing things that tempt you? I'm at a stage in my life where I am motivated to work on myself. However, I feel like I'm constantly being tempted to stay in my old ways while my partner of three years who I live with and want to have a future with is doing those exact things. For example, I want to get up early, but when he hits snooze, I feel like I want to as well. So I go back to sleep and waste my morning. I talk myself into making a healthy meal and then he says he'll get Uber Eats, so I get some too. He goes to bed around 12 to 1am, but I want to be getting to sleep by 11ish. I end up staying up because he is. I want to do weekly food prep, but he wants to decide what to eat each night based on what he feels like in the moment. He's not encouraging me to do these things, so it's not his, so it's not his fault. And I, and I want to still live with him while doing the things that I want to do. I just find it hard to resist temptation and also don't want to feel like I'm leaving him behind. Thanks for the advice and congratulations on the new book. I bought it and I'm keen to read it. Love your podcast and it's really helped me become a v- better version of myself. From Rachel, she, her. You're welcome to use my name if you use this in the pod. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you so much for your question. So the first thing I want to address is that you mentioned that you don't want to feel like you're leaving him behind. 
You will never be leaving him behind. He's a grown man. He is making his own decisions. If he is left behind, that is purely his choice. We all make lifestyle choices. There is zero guilt that you should be feeling here. He is a fucking grown man. Anything less than that, anything less than dating an adult would be just embarrassing. If I felt that I had to pick up the pieces for my partner on something that takes personal drive, I would be so turned off and it would probably ruin the relationship. For me, if something, if if my partner is turning to me and says, you've got to make me do this, you've got to make me do that, you've got to, I mean, I would try, but give it five years and we're divorced, okay, because that's draining on the soul and it's like, cunt, get your shit together, if you want to do it, do it, if you don't, don't, that's your fucking problem, I'll try and inspire you by living a lifestyle that hopefully gets you excited to want to do the same thing, but more than that, there's not much I can fucking do, okay, I'm not your parent, I'm not going to grab you by the hand and take you through everything day in, day out, so if I'm doing all these things and I've made it infinitely easier for you to do it because I'm already doing it and you then still choose not to do it zero pity congratulations genuinely congrats you're obviously living a life that you're happy living as am I peace to the world that's how you feel okay so as far as the guilt of leaving him behind stop that immediately there's not no guilt to be felt here now what I recommend you do, this is not easy. I know I know you could easily say, oh, if I can just do it anyway, because that's obviously what I'm going to tell you to do. But I totally get it. It's not, it's not as easy when you are with your partner and when you like to do a lot of things together. So my advice would be pick one thing to start with. And I highly recommend that that one thing that you start with is getting up early. Okay? You have to find a way that you get up and it's got nothing to do with him. I get up before Tyrone all the fucking time, all the time. And it doesn't even phase me. If anything, it's quite nice because I have, you know, my time in the mornings and I don't mind it. I actually quite like it. So start with the morning. And the reason I say start with the morning is when you become a morning you know, when you set your morning routine, let's say you have a set time, it's like I'm getting up at six no matter what. Or like for me, I've started getting up now at 5am and I love it. So you set whatever time it is and that's it. You're getting up, you're not hitting snooze. Once you do that, you'll start to feel a lot better about your day. You wake up feeling good. You've set the tone for the day. So once you're consistently doing the morning, I can guarantee you it's going to start getting easier for you to do the other things as well. But start with the morning and be consistent and say, okay, I'm going to try and do the other things what I can here and there, but I'm not going to put too much pressure on myself. But for the next three weeks, no matter what, I'm fucking getting up when I'm setting my alarm. He can join me or he can stay and he can snooze his alarm, but we're setting two fucking separate alarms. He can snooze all he wants. I'm setting my alarm and I'm getting up because this is your life. This is your morning and this is going to be your week, your year. You don't want to look back in 50 years time and look back and be like, fucking what the fuck? I literally didn't wake up the mornings that I wanted to wake up. I didn't set the tone. I didn't create a new routine for myself purely because he wanted to hit snooze. That's pathetic. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let that be the narrative for you, okay? The morning is what you're going to prioritize. There is so much behind why. The psychology behind that is huge because once you get that one thing down, which is getting up in the morning, you're going to feel a whole bunch of things. Number one, you feel a lot better when you wake up early, you set the time for the day, you have a good whatever it is you do, exercise, meditation, whatever you do, that's done. 
you're way more likely to then feel more empowered to want to do those other things that you then mentioned because you set the tone for your morning. I can guarantee you it's going to be a lot harder to be like, right, I'm going to do this meal for lunch and dinner if you kind of slept in and dragged yourself out of bed at the last minute. The morning, the tone for the morning sets the tone for the day, okay? I'm the biggest advocate for that. The other beautiful thing is with your bedtime, if you're getting up early, it's going to be easy to say good night and take yourself to bed because, you know, you said he goes to bed around 12, 1, but I want to be going to sleep by 11. You don't have to stay up with him. You don't have to have the same timetables. No wonder he's going to bed at 12, 1 because he likes to snooze his alarm and get up later. Perfectly fine. That's his call. I have no judgment on that. Everyone has their own cycles and clocks and whatever. That's fine. But you don't have to align yourself to his exact time because I can guarantee you, you will start to resent him. And it's through no fault of his own. He's entitled to go to bed at midnight and he's entitled to sleep in. It's his fucking life. But you're entitled to do the same thing. Okay. You have to do things independently from your partner or you will resent them. Don't expect him to do it with you. Don't get annoyed because you're not doing it because you want to be with him. No, none of that. You're your own person and he is his own person. The thing that I understand that is actually the hardest is the food situation. It is very hard. I'm, I can fully agree with you on that one, that it's really hard to eat separately with your partner and when you're about to start cooking a meal and they're like, I'm just going to Uber it, I fucking get it. Like I literally I get it because Tyrone and I – we're like that all the time. When he's really excited, I'm like, I actually was just going to order in and vice versa. So it's kind of like I fully relate. But if you can do the morning, it's going to be easier to do the bedtime. And then the next thing I would prioritize is your prep. If the food is prepped in the kitchen, then even when he says I'm ordering Uber Eats, you're like, well, here's something I prepared earlier. Okay. So really, You only have to be focusing on two main things. Number one is the morning and then the night takes care of itself. Number two is the food prep. And then when he's ordering out, you having your thing takes care of itself as well. So there's two things you're focusing on here and the other two will take care of themselves. You have to prioritize yourself. You have to remind yourself that there is no guilt here. There is no, oh, hey, this. A successful couple, in my personal opinion, is one where it's two independent individuals who come together and coexist harmoniously, okay? But you're still two independent individuals. You're not codependent. You're not doing everything together at the same time, everything, blah, 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 blah. I personally can't think of anything worse. You have to have your own life and he has to have his own life. What likely will happen, not in every case, but what likely will happen is that he'll start seeing that you're on a fucking roll. You're waking up, you're, you're feeling good, you're going to bed he's going to start noticing changes in your energy levels, in your productivity levels, in your mood, your happiness. You're just going to have this aura about you because you're doing things for you that makes you feel good. And if he's he's wanting that same thing, he's going to be inspired by you and he's going to be like, oh, maybe I'll wake up with you. Maybe I'll do this with you. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And that's how you get your partner. You know, you can't make them do anything, but that's the best way for a partner to follow suit with what you're doing just by just by doing what you're doing living by example but for you being like you've got to do this get up get up oh i don't want to that's their choice like i said he's he's his own person and he's a grown man so 
You do you, young man. Anyway, that is the advice for today. Hopefully you found that helpful. And yeah, I really want this for you. I really want you to go out there and get this for yourself. Don't don't let it be 10 years to turn around and be like, fuck, I should have just started earlier. Start today. It's all about you. You're the only one that's going to do it. Don't expect anyone to do it for you. You are the only one that can get you out of bed. You are the only one that can put certain foods into your mouth. So do it. I believe in you. I know you can. Thanks for tuning in, guys. And as always, remember, be kind to yourself. Be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone. And especially don't take shit from yourself. Don't cut.